So just letting you guys know, today is a big day in my family. My daughter Elsie is getting married today at 4 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, my house is an absolute disaster. Uh, all the wedding decorations on, you know, the, the dining room table, kitchen table, rooms. We've got adults camped out all over, you know, the, the fiancé, the, my daughter and her husband, and, and the other people live there, and their golden doodle dog, and our cats are really getting along great. Um, and so it has been a, a, an incredible week, uh, and we're celebrating that today. Uh, hopefully the rain will hold off so they can get pictures in Gratz Park downtown. But if you guys see me when I get done preaching, just like bolt out, it's not because I don't love you, okay? Because my, my daughter said, Dad, first look with me is at one o'clock, and I am getting down there for that, okay? So, uh, so um, that, that's, what, that's what's going on in my life today. I'm very excited, but it could, I, I really wanted to be here with you all today because today is just such a great day, all right? It's Sunday morning, and so we're in a series called One Thing. Went through the Bible and found seven different times where I saw the phrase one thing, and if you have a chance, you say, hey, one thing I want you to remember. If, if your daughter's getting married and you're about to walk her down the aisle and you say, one thing I want you to remember, that's really important, right? Okay? So when, when the Bible says one thing, we're in part three today, and it's one thing to let go of. I, I want everyone to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 31. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can pull it up on Version Bible app, which we highly recommend here. Uh, it'll be on the screens behind me. But... Um, that's, it's one thing to let go of. And the main thing today is you've lost nothing when you give up what you were never going to keep anyway. Okay? So what if Jesus came up to you and said, there's one thing missing from your life. You lack just one thing. One thing you lack. Would you pay attention to it? Well, I would. Because I said, you know, Jesus, if, if you can boil it down to one thing that's lacking... In me, if you boil down to one thing, you truly are the Son of God. You truly are a miracle worker because I can come up with about a hundred things off the top of my head right now that I'm lacking. Okay, but so if you can, if you can do one thing, I am all ears. And so Jesus says this to this guy. Follow me in Mark chapter ten, verse seventeen through thirty-one. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" That's every preacher's dream. For somebody to ask that question, because we'd love to tell you. Uh, Jesus, verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not murder, should not commit adultery, should not steal, should not give false testimony, shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. <clears throat> Jesus looked at him and loved him. <clears throat> one thing you lack, he said, here it is. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle <clears throat> Excuse me, than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were even more amazed. They said to each other, well, who, who then can be saved? You know, Peter and John were looking at each other, well, I got stuff, and you got stuff, and you got stuff. And so if we got stuff, then who can be saved? It's troubling to us. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things 
are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now this is a troubling passage of scripture and it is not popular in our society. So let's just kind of unpack this. The first thing Jesus tells him is this. There's one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Okay? Jesus looked at him and loved him, it said. See, the problem with this passage, I hear this when I was in seminary, and this was highly debated about whether Jesus, whether Christians should own anything or whether or not, you know, the whole materialism thing. And everybody starts with Jesus saying, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. Well, we need to back up just a sentence because Jesus looked at him and loved him. Okay, understand that before you hear anything else. Understand that. Jesus decided to do the most loving thing for this man that he could. See, this was a, a, a legalist. This was a recovering legalist. He had kept all of the, of the things. He'd done everything right his whole life. He'd, he'd, he'd not told a lie. He'd not committed adultery. He had not defrauded. He'd done all these things, yet there was something still missing from his life. He knew there was something. It was gnawing on him. Kept him up nights. It was like a grain of sand in the eye or a pebble in the shoe. He couldn't shake it. And he saw Jesus. He runs up to him and says, Jesus, all this stuff I've been doing isn't working. So what do I do? How do I inherit eternal life? Man, this is, this is bugging me. It's keeping me up night, Jesus. What do you have for me? And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, I'm going to tell you the most loving thing that I can. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this because not to tell you this would be the same as, as a doctor withholding life-saving medicine from a patient who's terminal. Uh, to, to not do so would be to watch cars go off a cliff and not say stop. To not tell you this truth, rich young ruler, would be to not love you, Okay? So he says this, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. Jesus says, this is what's holding you back, man. This right here, you want to know what's holding you back? You want to know why this, all, this, all this stuff that you're doing isn't working? Because there's something that you're holding on to you're never meant to hold on to. There's something that you value that you're never meant to value this much. There's something out of place in your life, and I'm telling you what it is. And I'm willing to tell you a hard truth. I'm willing to watch you walk away because you don't like what I have to say than I am to, 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 to lie to you. And see, this is what's holding you back. And Jesus looks at him and says, listen, man, you were never supposed to keep this stuff anyway. All this stuff that you have, this great wealth you have, you were never meant to keep it anyway. It's not yours. And so if you give it up, you're not giving up anything that you were going to hold on to forever anyway. Okay? And this was not what the guy was expecting. The guy was expecting a, you know, three steps. He was expecting some self-help books. He was expecting a group therapy session. He was expecting Jesus to give him a hug and say, I'm okay, you're okay. okay that, that's what he was expecting. Instead, he got hit with the whammy. Jesus went straight to what was going on in this guy's heart, just as he does to you and me. When we're sitting here in church and you're hearing a message or you're reading the scripture or you're a worship service and the Holy Spirit hits you, like he does, pay attention 
Because that's the, way, that's the way Jesus works. This was not what he was expecting. And the scriptures tell us, number three, that he went away sad. Well, of course he did. Anytime you choose the world over Jesus, you're going to go away sad. There's no joy in following what this world has to say. There's none. There are countless people have tried it. Billions, if not however many people have existed since the beginning of time, have tried it, and they've all come up empty. Okay? Of course you went away sad. Whenever you choose the world over Jesus, you go away sad. Remember, sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. And when Jesus, when, when, when Jesus said, listen, hey, you need to give up your wealth, and you come follow me. And the rich young ruler was, was, was faced with a choice. Do I choose my wealth? Do I choose Jesus? And he had to look at the Son of God and say, you know what, Jesus? I'm choosing this. Because this is just... This is just too much for me to give up. I'm just going to go keep on being a legalist, keep staying up nights, keep, keep doing what I'm doing because this is just, you're just asking me for too much. said he went away sad. See, he arrived to Jesus sad, unfulfilled, and he left Jesus sad and unfulfilled. That's what happens when we choose the things of this world over Jesus now, is it, it, did Jesus have a problem with wealth? No, no, he really didn't. You know, the, 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 it's, this is the only person he ever said this to. He never told anyone else to do this. There's only this man. So does Jesus have a problem with people having money or possessions? No, not really. See, there are certain things in the Bible that are black and white, right and wrong. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. There's not a lot of gray area there, okay? But there are other things in the Bible where God says, I'm not gonna tell you right or wrong, I'm going to sit down and share some wisdom with you. For example, um, you know, uh, alcohol. Yeah, it, it does not say not to drink in the Bible. It does not say that. Paul tells Timothy to stop drinking only water and start drinking a little wine for your upset stomach, a little. But, but Scripture also tells us what happens when we drink too much, when it becomes our obsession. This is, these are the dangers here. I'm not going to tell you not to do this, but I'm going to sit down and share some wisdom with you. And wealth is one of those things. See, the Bible tells us what wealth does to us. It doesn't say not to have anything, but it says watch out. And there are three things I've found that wealth does to you that we need to walk out for. I'm going to share some wisdom with you today. This is what was going on with the rich young ruler. This is why Jesus told him to sell everything he had. This is, this is why. See, guys, wealth is not evil. It's neither good, evil nor good. But wealth does things to you. It really does. I've seen it myself. See, guys, I grew up in an affluent home. I went to um, a school with many of the children of Lexington's elite. I went to a private college where I met even more children of elites, and I saw the values, and I saw what, what wealth did. I've also been to India and Nepal and Mexico and Dominican Republic and Honduras, and I've seen the opposite firsthand. I've seen real poverty. I'm not talking the kind of poverty you see here in America. I'm talking real poverty. I mean, the kind that, that, that we, if you've never been outside of America, you've never really seen. I've seen it. This is the first thing that wealth does to you. Wealth does this. Wealth weds you to the world you were never meant to stay in. Okay? You all understand that this world is not our home. The entire Bible says that we are travelers. We are passing through. And if you were to stretch out a timeline of your eternity, the time you spend on this, on this planet, in this life, wouldn't even register as a blip. This is not our home. And yet, what wealth does, wealth changes that. Wealth makes you 
think that this is your home and you lose the perspective that, we, that we, the Christians are supposed to have. 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now that does not mean God's creation, the beauty of Natural Bridge or the majesty of the Grand Canyon or the people around us. That is not what he is saying not to love. He is talking about the values, the, 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 the goals of this world. We're not supposed to love them. We're not supposed to, to, to go for them. Um, I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean uh, a little while ago and the first one, um, and when Will Turner and Captain Jack Sparrow are stealing the British frigate, you know, they, they take off and the British chase them, okay, and they catch up with them because this one's the fastest one in the, in the fleet, and the British then throw grappling hooks, one after the other, to wed the ships together. And yeah, as, as, if you guys have seen that movie, the British go over here, Captain Jack Sparrow and Will Turner come over here, and what's the first thing Jack Sparrow does? Takes a hatchet, cuts the lines, cuts the lines so he can drift away. And I look at wealth as those grappling hooks. Everything that I own, everything that I, that I buy, everything that I invest myself in is a grappling hook that weds me to a world I was never meant to stay in. That's what wealth does. Okay, um, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters marveled, and this is, this is um, uh, kind, of, kind of hitting me, very, very strongly because of the uh, decision of my youngest to, uh, to go into the Marines. C.S. Lewis in Screwtape Letters marvels to his nephew Wormwood, the demon, that the young humans, he calls them the young humans, the children, the young men, the young women, are far more willing to die than the older ones. He says, this is most puzzling. He said, the people with the longest time to live, the ones that have their whole lives in front of them, are the ones that go off to war, the ones that take risks, the ones that, that, that live the excitement, take, you know, drive too fast. They, they're far more willing to die than the older people who have lived 90 he said about 90, 95% of their lives. He said, you'd think it'd be the opposite. You'd think that the older people who have lived all their lives would be the ones taking the risk and the ones that are driving too fast and, and, and everything. And the younger people would be hunkered down because they have their whole lives in front of them. He said, this is a peculiar phenomenon to us, Wormwood. And he says this. Those who are older say that they finally found their place in this world when in reality the world has found its place in them, he said, the younger people have less things holding them to this world. And so they live very differently. So wealth weds you to a world that you are never meant to be wedded to. It does. And if you think I'm lying, you don't have much wealth. The second thing that wealth does is this. Wealth stops you from pursuing God's will for your, for your life. You say, how is that true? How's that, how could wealth stop me from pursuing God's uh, path for my life? Well, Luke 5, 11, when, when after Jesus has called his disciples, they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Do you understand that? That they could not have followed him unless they left everything. Okay? Now, see, the problem that I found is that when you have wealth, when you don't have anything, like when, when my wife and I were first married and we were living in this little nothing duplex in the middle of nothing neighborhood, in the middle of nothing Nicholasville, we had nothing. Did I, you guys get that? We had nothing. 
okay? I remember one, one, uh, one day I was, I was so excited because we got to the end of the month and we had 10 bucks and we saved 10 bucks. Put that in the savings account and that doubled our savings account, okay? That's how high on the hog we were living. A big night for us was mac and cheese and hot dogs. That was our go-to meal, okay? And I still like that meal, thank you very much, okay? I still like that. But we had nothing. Now that we own a home, we have children, we have investments, we have a reputation, we have professional reputations, we have all these things. Now, now I've got something to lose, y'all. Now I've got something to lose. And stop taking risks for the kingdom. What's easier for a person with nothing, if the Lord calls him to the mission field, to go, or a person that has millions? A person with nothing. Okay? Now you've got something to lose, you stop living. You lose the freedom and the spontaneity that makes life enjoyable and fun and exciting because now there's a cost to that. It happens. You all have seen it many Many, many times. People say, all you young people should go to the mission field. You should go in the ministry. You middle-aged people should do that. You old people should do that. Why aren't you? Well, if the Lord's called you, are you saying no because there's just too much to give up? I'd have to walk away. I'd have to sell my house. I'd have to sell my car. I'd have to, I'd have to walk away from my business. I see all these things have wetted us to, to the world. That's what wealth does to us. It stops us from pursuing God's will for our lives. And we, and, and we live in this, in this kind of middle ground that Ralph Waldo Emerson called life of quiet desperation. That's what wealth does to us. You all have seen it firsthand if you're not careful. The third thing that I've seen, and I saw this most poignantly in my first mission trip to Mexico. Wealth dulls the human spirit and robs you of joy. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. First time I ever took American kids to the mission field. First time I'd ever gone to the mission field was in Mexico. I was in youth ministry. We went to Reynosa, Mexico, right over the Texas border. And we, we worked in a landfill. And these people were, had made homes out of landfill material. Okay, like they, they had some barbed wire and they had some, you know, some... I don't know, a little piece of sheet metal and some cardboard and maybe a piece of wood over here that they made their house out of, okay? Then they all had like, they all had like 10 kids. Every couple had like 10 kids. And we wondered how that happened in like a one-room house. How did, we're not going to go there, but anyway. So, um, but the, the kids, the kids that I had, they were from Hendersonville, Tennessee, and they were from fa fairly wealthy families, and every one of them was having anxiety attacks and panic attacks and, and they were actually cutting themselves because they were feeling so much emotional pain and, and all these things. It, it was like every time I talked with these kids, it was like a therapy session because they were so broken and so anxious and so depressed and so everything that was going on in their lives. And they cried into their $100 jackets and, their, and, and they texted things on their, on their Nokia phones, okay? Yeah, I didn't even have a phone. They did, and they made fun of me because they had to call the office to talk to me and everything. So we went down to Mexico, and the astonishment, we were supposed to build a house for this one family, 
there were three couple, four couples. There was the, the, the grandparents and their three daughters and, and the three daughters with their husbands, and they're like 30 kids, all living in this one house. So we were going to double their living space and make a house for them. And about, we got there on Sunday, and on, by Tuesday, all of my teenagers all, had quit working. They had completely quit working. They weren't doing anything. They went to the, they, they just played with the kids all day long, and the adults, we were the ones building that, and we said, let's do, let the kids play with the kids. And every night it was the same thing. The American kids just scratching their heads. We don't get it. We don't understand this. These kids have nothing. They have one change of clothes. They're living in a landfill. They're living in a dump. And they are 10 times happier than we ever have been in our lives. We don't get it. What's going on here? And one of the seniors in high school spoke up on the last day. And he said to the rest of the group, He said, you guys, I've been the biggest complainer in our youth group. I've been the biggest complainer on this trip. And he goes, you know what the difference between those kids and me is? He goes, I'm the rich young ruler. I've got my stuff. And I arrived here sad. He goes, and I'm afraid I'm going to walk away from Jesus sad because I can't let go of my stuff. These kids, they don't have the stuff but you know what they've got? They've got Jesus. And they are truly joyful. And I, me, I'm miserable beyond imagine. He goes, I understand why that rich young ruler went away sad. Because that's what I am right now. And I've never seen it until tonight. He goes, I have no joy, guys. And all the kids were like, we don't either. Now that we've actually seen joy, we've actually seen what the human spirit looks like, alive and joyful and purposeful, once we've seen that, we are, we're so far off. He, and and these, these kids, I asked them this question. So would you be willing to walk away from everything that America offers you to have what these kids have? You have to get rid of all your possessions. You have to get rid of all your wealth, all your clothes, all your popularity, all sports, everything to come back down here and live like this. Could you do it? They said, we can't do it. And they went back to a life of quiet desperation because they went away sorrowful you guys wealth dulls the human spirit and robs you of joy i'm going to nepal here in october and we're going to be among the poorest of the poor and the light in these children's eyes the joy the excitement of everything is astounding and my prayer is that you will not let wealth dull your spirit, dull your joy. Instead, I want to make a suggestion. The Christian ethic when it comes to money and possessions is not getting rid of everything. That's that's not what has been taught. The Christian concept, and I want you to write, write, write this down, is a thing called traveling light. Traveling light. Okay? Write that down. Traveling 
light. I want you to travel light. Uh, to illustrate this, I want to take you to one of the greatest movies ever made. It's a Mel Brooks movie called Spaceballs. When Captain Lone Star and Barf and Princess Vespa crash land on, in the desert, what are they carrying? What's baseball fan? What are they carrying with them? Yeah, the Princess Vespa's matched luggage. Exactly. And so Lone Star and Barf are carrying this big trunk, and they're saying, what is this? And they open it up, and Princess Vespa says, that's my industrial strength hair dryer, and I can't live without it. Okay? So Captain Lone Star throws it in the sand, and they pick up, and they walk through. And so I have five, five things to give you today to avoid the trap that the rich young ruler fell into to help you travel light. The first thing is this. Own your possessions. Don't let them own you. Own your possessions. Don't let them own you. Remember, people, that we are to love people and use things, not the opposite. Okay, if you start feeling like it's a full-time job just taking care of what you own, you don't own them. They own you. If you're exhausted taking care of the things that you have, you don't owe them. They own you. If you obsess over your car, if your mind is dominated by thoughts of home decor and a perfectly manicured lawn and how many gadgets you have for your hobbies, then you don't own your possessions. They own you. So the question that doesn't need an answer today but needs to think, you need to think about this this week, how much time and energy are you willing to give to stuff that doesn't love you? See, guys, I wanted to restore, back in my 20s, I wanted to restore a 1967 Ford Mustang, fastback, with a, with a 390 FE. Arr, arr, arr. I wanted to spin the tires. Those things, apparently, could spin the tires in all three gears. Great car, beautiful car. I love Mustangs. And I was looking around, looking at purchasing one and restoring it. I, talk, I was talking to a Mustang enthusiast, and I mentioned the fact that I was looking for a, a project car, and I, and I love Mustangs. And he looked at me and said this. He says, don't love it, because it sure don't love you. That stuck with me, y'all. And out of that conversation I had with him, I came to the conclusion that I need to spend a very limited amount of time, a very limited amount of energy, a very limited amount of love to things that don't love me back. Far too many people are in a one-sided romance with their possessions. Instead of them owning their possessions, possessions own them. And all their possessions, y'all, make, make people do crazy things. John said that that America's crazy. We're crazy. Let let me give you an example of how crazy we are. Some people rent storage units. You know how crazy that is? Okay, your possessions make you get them their own house, their own apartment, and you pay for it. Okay, and, and I get having a house and having things in it, but why do your possessions get their own house? Okay, and think about that. What do you put in Stores, you put the things that you value, things that you love, things that are great. No, you put the junk in there, right? The stuff you don't want to look at, the stuff that, that you can't stand looking at, the stuff that you don't use, the stuff you haven't used for five years, right? That's, who, that's what you put in the storage unit, right? Right? So the, think about this. 
The stuff you don't like gets its own house. We're crazy, you all. We're crazy. Think about the context of insanity so much of us are living in. Number one, own your possessions. Don't let them own you. Spend a very limited amount of time on the stuff that doesn't love you. Second thing is this. Understand that money is a tool, not a goal. It's a tool, not a goal. Um, Andrew Carnegie, the famous robber baron of the 20th century, was worth more than $310 billion by today's standards. Now, what, what would you do with $310 billion? You can't even fathom that kind of money. I did some math here. Check this out. All right? If you spent $10,000 per day, that's a lot of money. That would be $3.65 million a year. It would take you 84,931 years to spend all that at $10,000 a day. You can't even fathom that. And so he was asked, how much money was enough? And he replied, a little bit more. The guy with $310 billion said, how much money is enough? A little bit more. Money's a tool, you all, not a goal. It's a nice tool. It's good for a lot of things, but it's not a goal. Listening to American culture, you think that acquisition of money was the ultimate goal. It's a tool to be used, not a goal to be achieved. It's not a, a tool to, be, uh, to, to use to accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Remember that everything you buy is another thing that wedges you to a world that you're never meant to stay in. Instead, I want to make the suggestion of this, the third, that you spend money on experiences, not things. Spend money on experiences, not things. The things that I truly value aren't the things I have in my house, you all. They are the things I have in my heart. Taking the entire family on multiple mission trips to India and having those experiences together, those are worth more than any vehicle or any decoration or marble countertops in the house. Getting on a college, college visit trips with my daughters, helping them explore the next stage of their lives. Going on scuba trips with my son, 13 hours in the car, 15 hours back because of I-75 traffic. Exploring God's creation whenever you can. Those are the things that matter to me. Not the things in my home or in my car. A lifetime of memories, of adventures, is far better than a garage full of junk, you all. I found that connection with people is the most valuable thing I've ever had. Rachel and I fin finished up a, a very exhausting 10 days uh, mission trip in India. And um, it was, it, it, I, I preached and taught two or three times per day. Rachel spent time with the women, making friends and, and, and community and everything. Laughter and prayer and fellowship with some of the most wonderful human beings that God has ever created. That's who we got to spend time with over in India. Well, the morning that we left, we left at about 7 o'clock in the morning. And the entire church and a lot of the community showed up to say bye to us. How many Americans could you get to say bye to you at 7 o'clock in the morning? They all showed up. And I will never forget, that this, this moment that I'm about to tell you will be part of my eternity. It's worth more than any 401k to me. My wife was sitting right here. I was sitting in the middle, and Susanna, the pastor's wife of the church, was sitting here, Robbie's mother. And the, 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 the crowd was over here, and they were waving, and the children were knocking on the windows and saying bye. And the thought of leaving them was just too much. And I don't know if you know, but out of a rare instant, my wife started crying. A tear ran down her cheek, and before I could do anything, 
Susanna, the pastor's wife, a woman of a different culture, a different race, a different language, spoke no English, tiny, beautiful woman of God, saw that. And she reached across my lap and took my wife's hand and held it. And she looked at my, Rachel turned and looked at her. She, the, the look that Susanna gave my wife was one of just absolute, pure love and understanding. And seeing the connection of two Christian women, two pastor's wives who had different backgrounds, different skin color, different culture, different language, different everything you could imagine, the connection, the human connection that happened in that moment was worth more than any lottery ticket or inheritance or anything that you could imagine. The beauty of that moment will live with me forever. And the accumulation of memories is far greater than the accumulation of things. The richest people I know are the ones who have lived the greatest stories, you all, not the ones with the most toys. Spend money on experiences, not things. The fourth thing is this, is understand it's all God's. Everything. It's all God's. The rich young ruler went away sad because he'd made the mistake most of us are making today. We actually think it's ours. He thought he'd have to give up what was his. That's, that's, that's the mistake that most of us make too. That's why it was sad. We think it's an imposition when God tells us to give it up. We think he's out of his lane. Hey, God's staying in your own lane. This is my stuff. Okay? We think we're being robbed. We think God has a lot of nerve telling us to give it all up. Truth is, it's all his anyway. We're nothing more than managers of God's stuff for a little while while we're here. Okay, the secret to traveling light, you all, is to understand, realize it's ours to manage, not to own. And the things go a lot better when we simply do what the owner of the stuff says to do. That's the secret to traveling light. Travel light, you all, it's not ours. It's all his. And the fifth thing to understand, to remember is this. Understand that in the end, it all goes back in the box. And what the heck are you talking about? I'll tell you. When my kids were little, they would get out every toy out of the toy box imaginable. There would be toys strewn in the room, the family room, down the hallway, the bedrooms, Stepping on Legos right before bedtime. Yep. Wife would say, all right, cleanup time. Everything goes back in the box. And every, the whole family pitched in and took everything and put it all back in the box. One of these days, y'all, it's all going to go back in the box. One of these days... We'll all die. One of these days, we're going to croak and pass on, buy the farm, kick the bucket, push up daisies, bite the dust, take a dirt nap, shuffle off this mortal coil, cash in our chips, check into the horizontal Hilton, call it whatever you want. We're all going to die. And when we do, it's all going back in the box. So travel light. That's what Jesus was trying to tell this young man. This young man didn't get it. He didn't get it. He went away sad. When it came time to choosing Jesus or choosing his stuff, he chose his stuff. And his stories in the scriptures to us is a warning, you all. Christians, travel light. One thing you lack, 
Jesus says. Travel light. Own your possessions. Don't let them own you. Understand that money's a tool, not a goal. Spend money on experiences, not things. Understand that it's all God's. And remember, please remember that in the end, it all goes back into the box. Main thing is, you've lost nothing when you give up what you are never going to keep anyway. The rich young ruler made the wrong decision. Let's make sure that we make the right one. God bless you. We'll see you later. See you next week. Bye-bye.